Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello everyone, I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group, Ben Sawyer. Also with us is the Chief Operating Officer of Soar Vision Group, Jennifer Strahan. And once again, we're so happy, joining us for a second week in a row is Scott McIntyre. He's the Chief Executive Officer of GuideHouse. Welcome Scott, thanks for joining us again. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. So what we call this, uh, since we get you two weeks in a row, we call the second uh, time we meet as sort of a deep dive. So we covered a number of topics, and Ben's going to sort of give us a recap, but uh, let's, let's you know dive a little bit more into what we talked about. Really good conversations. Sounds good. Yeah, so for listeners, uh, we had a very engaging conversation that Scott shared with us, his experiences with... Uh, PwC and the carve-out uh, organization of that that ultimately became GuideHouse and the experiences with the Baldridge journey and how the journey in many cases is the destination. It's not It's not really a project. And we surfaced a number of really interesting points that we want to unpack today. So one of them has to do with leadership and employee engagement and the fact that you can't manage quality and or people by fiat that there is a, uh, a shared responsibility, that essentially leaders have authority in their role, but responsibility is shared with the front line. And what we learned after uh, you said Fiat, we won't say what we thought it was. Okay, I'll say what I thought it was. I thought it was the car. Okay, now I just wanna say I scored very highly on my verbal SAT, but apparently there's a word I don't know. So for the listeners like me, Fiat is basically the word for ruling like you are the king of the land and everyone else is your subjects. I will be using that in Scrabble. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. So thanks for that clarification. And then the the other, which was really uh, important, and we want to unpack this with you, Scott, is this notion that what really matters from a quality standpoint is what matters to the customer as they define it. And that that's, that is not always easy to elicit, that you can't just assume that they want, you know, good service, responsive uh, uh, you know processes and and even continuity of people, but it's how do you really understand and find out what they want and then make sure that your strategy, your operations, and, and so on are all aligned, and that becomes the essence of the quality program. So um, thoughts on that, Scott? Is that does that s- summarize reasonably well what we talked about last Absolutely. week? Absolutely. Looking forward to diving into both of those. Okay. So what I wanted to start off for the listeners, there's a really interesting article that was published in the March 2015, 2015 issue of Harvard Business Review. It, it is called Why Strategy Unravels and What to Do About It. Um, the authors are Donald Soule, um, who is got his PhD at MIT, and Rebecca Homkes, who's a researcher at the London School of Economics, uh, and also a gentleman by the name of Charles Soule was a co-author. So it sounds like they wrote about my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, exactly. So uh, what they did, they had a sample of, uh, um, let's see here, 8,000 managers in more than 250 companies over an eight-year period. Um, and they, they surveyed tests to 7,600 managers. So it's really... 
it was really interesting. And one of the things, one of the myths, actually myth three uh, in the article is that communication uh, equals understanding. <laughs> so talking about the challenges of leadership and connecting with the front line, many leaders, and they talk about this, will have town hall meetings and other kinds of discussions, and they assume that it is then understood and applied. And um, that, in fact, is a myth. Also like parenting. Very much like parenting. <laughs> you had to bring that up. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and then another, another myth um, that actually has to do with customer delivery and sustainability is execution means sticking to the plan. And they, they state in their article, which I, I always chuckle when I hear, is there's never been a Gantt chart that survived reality. <laughs> right. Ever. <laughs> right. And so what that means, and you talked about this last time, Scott, so I want to lateral to you is that you have to fundamentally have good people that are empowered to act like an owner, right? To be able to actually make the strategy happen. And as leaders, you have to take the time, not just to communicate, but to whatever it takes to make sure that there's engagement. So can you, if I can lateral that to you, Scott, can you just help us unpack that? Yeah, you bet, Ben. I mean, you could have a, a, a several shows on just these two <laughs> topics alone. They're, they're both really important. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting when you think about how do you get people to act like owners? Right. Uh, and there's various ways to do that. And some of those, some of those ways actually involve equity, right? But right. The, the reality is uh, even equity owners don't always act like owners in the context of what we're trying to achieve as leaders. Right. Uh, you, you, you make decisions, you collaborate, you participate, you, cont you contribute in a way uh, that moves the organization forward, not like a social experiment, but like a business uh, that is passionate about right. success and also passionate about serving its clients and customers regardless of where they are. So the, you know, the, the thing that I take away from this, and I think about our journey, and I think about the business that GuideHouse is and has become, and I'll tell you, it, it, this is not something that I've ever put down as sort of from our playbook as a measurable item, but the thing that comes about in, in our culture over and over again is that innovation or, or some spectacular piece of customer client service or incredibly uh, persuasive deliverable if we're doing a, a consulting project, they come up from the organization and they're not driven from the top. They right. are, they're, they're coming from people who are engaged with their clients, passionate about their clients' missions, caring about their clients' success. Uh, they, have, they have the fortitude to bring the best of what my company, GuideHouse, has in terms of intellectual property and, and analytical capacity to their clients' needs. And it's, it's the difference between being a top-down, C-suite driven mm -hmm. business and being a line-led business. And despite being the CEO of GuideHouse, we see ourselves as a line-led business. We see ourselves as a business, and it does tie back to what you said a moment ago about putting the customer uh, you know, at the, at the center of things. We're, we're very focused, I, I, I think in some cases obsessed, with making sure that there's no light getting between the customer and the people who are serving those customers. And that means bureaucracy isn't getting in the way, policy and rulemaking aren't getting in the way, second-guessing isn't disturbing things. And that is, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of academic and professional standards and studies that would suggest great ways to measure engagement, measure how you get close to your customer, but I, I have a palpable sense beyond you know, what we do measure uh, that you know, when I'm seeing anecdotal evidence that our people are over-delivering for their clients and engaged in their client success, I mean, that's, 
regardless of what industry you're in or how you serve a customer, that's like utopia. And, uh, yeah. and, and you know, it does begin, as trite as this is, it begins by hiring great people and giving them purpose. And I know, by the way, your, your first point on, you know, communication doesn't equal understanding. Uh, that's where, you, you know, you have people with purpose, you have people with passion, they're intellectually capable. Uh, and now, how do, you, how do you get them moving in the, the direction that your strategy calls for? And you're right, it's, it's not just about communication. I have some thoughts on that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to get into that. One of the things that I want to repeat, because it was so important what you said, you can't really let any light between the customer and the front line uh, occur. Otherwise, you miss performance opportunities. So that has significant implications for leadership. And you, you implied this concept of servant leadership in what you just said, Scott, you know, where, where as a senior leader, you're mostly concerned about making sure that doesn't happen, that there's light between and that the frontline associates are empowered to innovate and so forth, which is very different from top-down directives. Can you just comment on that a little bit? Because I thought that comment was intriguing. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. And a, a couple of, of thoughts on that, and I, I, I think it's it's really important. First of all, we, we all know if we if we're if we're wearing a hat that's primarily concerned about enterprise risk management, litigation, risk exposure, uh, you're going to have a C-suite bureaucratic-led business. And bureaucratic always sounds bad, but in this in this hypothetical, it's exactly what's necessary. Right. Uh, but the reality is none of us live or can live for long in a world of complete risk aversion. So you have to balance that, right? And some companies and organizations, and no one's immune from this, they, you know, they ebb and flow between sort of the, you know, the risk the tolerance extremes. But the, uh, you know, the reality is when you have a business, and, and you can have this in any industry, healthcare, manufacturing, retail, consulting, professional services, when you have people who are really motivated, and, you know, I, I don't like the phrase all, you know, moving in the same direction because I'm not even sure what that means. But right. they generally have a shared commitment to the values of the organization and the mission we're trying to achieve. And that gets translated into their daily activities. Right. You don't need to have a lot of bureaucracy. You do, right. need, you do need policies. You do need internal controls. But I'll give you an example, and I'll obfuscate the details of, of something that uh, illustrates this point and, and just happened recently here. We had a situation where a, a client... Uh, wanted us to have a, an operation overseas, and there are some, there are some proclivities associated with, with setting up that operation. Mm-hmm. It isn't really in our best interest, and um, we're not even sure we could serve the client in the capacity they desired the way they were structuring it. We didn't have a team that serves that client have to go up a chain of bureaucracy to seek approvals or, or, to, uh, or to help with risk mitigation. We had a team that was self-actualized and knowledgeable enough to work with the client on their own to find the right path forward. And there, there's, there's you know, myriad examples where the institution is set up to take the input from the market and then drive it up a bureaucracy, where at best, you know, you're, you're lethargic in your reaction to the market, where at worst, you, you, know, you kill the deal, uh, either through you know, the commitment of time it takes to get something done, or you've loaded it up with so much risk management, uh, you can't maneuver. And that, that's, I think it's really important to have an organization where there is no daylight between the client and the line, but that is not the same thing as having sort of the, the line and the people who are, you know, who are working with clients and customers every day 
you know, act like cowboys and have a free-for-all. Correct. They, you know, if, when you have the magic, you've got people who are independent thinkers, they're disciplined, they understand the operating tolerance, what we call at GuideHouse, the guideposts of the organization. Yep. And with that understanding, doesn't come perfection, but comes a lot of agility and comes the perception that, you know, that the clients do come first, they're at the center of the model. So success is messy, right? I mean, you don't, you don't just jump into success because you're following some very you know, simple, straightforward approach. How big is this relative to the successes you've had both at PwC and, and now? In turn, and, and sorry, Ben, when you say how big is this, what are you referring to? The, this uh, being able to get to shared commitment, self-actualization, yeah. you know, peop, not getting daylight between uh, customers in the front line, but also not cowboys. That, yeah, thank that you. I, I, look, I, I'll, I'll go back to what you said a moment ago that, you know, communication is, is, not, is not understanding. It's really important because when, when you're constantly working with people, it does begin with communication, but, but it, you know, yeah. it, it also means a lot of listening and a lot of course correction. When you're working with people who are, as we just discussed, so engaged in the mission yeah. and so engaged in the company, uh, like everything else becomes a lot easier. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, and everything else could be purely pedestrian or, or routine things, like we've got to work this weekend on a client deliverable, a client matter. Uh, or, you know, we're, we're going to make this investment and I need to move you from one part of the organization to another. People are much more adaptable to short-term and long-term change. They're much more eager to take on new challenges when they really understand, you know, where the organization's going and what their role is in it. All right. One of the things this reminds me of is there's a book. This is for Duffy. Um, <laughs> she always, just so you know, Scott, Jennifer, uh, I always want her to make a book recommendation. I'll so here it, it comes. <laughs> this is um, a, a book that came out. It's called The Amazon Way. It's not, not a new book, but it's an easy book. It's a really good book. And it talks about Amazon's journey and the values that they have. And what's interesting is obviously you're, you're balancing here this level of empowerment, right? We have to empower our team members to really be able to do what we hire them to do, to be great at what they're great at. But at the same time, you cannot achieve that true level of customer value unless you empower them because you will always create slow progress in the interim. And so Amazon has this principle that they call obsession with the customer. So you're not just customer driven or customer led. It's a genuine obsession. And that's their principle. And I, I've always, as soon as I heard that, uh, it's always fascinated me because I think it's just truly living what you do, even when it means making the hard decisions. But again, I think the line of what that teeters on is when you think about innovation and when we think about ownership and acting like owners as employees, those things together help us be able to bring maximum value to our customers. I, I think that's a really good point, and you, you bring up a company that I you know, really admire as a business person, but obviously, like most of us, uh, and also a big customer of theirs, uh, it, it, they, they are obsessed with the customer. And I'm guessing, while I've never worked at Amazon, so I'm taking a little bit of a leap here, but I'm guessing that that doesn't mean an operating free-for-all, right? It means people who understand Correct. the mission, understand what their authorities are, reduce bureaucracy through that, that same understanding, and then deal with those exceptional cases where, where things do need adjudication, and, and unfortunately that involves right. bureaucracy. Which is what you're referring to as the guideposts, right? Absolutely. I think of it like bowling. So I have a son who will be four this month, actually, and it's like bowling with the, um, the bumpers. Yeah. Right? Bowling so, with the bumpers, yeah, I love you it. You can yeah. still actually get a gutter. I'm not going to talk about that, but it is possible to still get a gutter ball. <laughs> how, would you know, how would you know that, You have Jennifer? to work hard. I, I've seen other people do it. <laughs> but in the midst 
midst of it, you know you've got guardrails, right? So your your likelihood of getting a gutter or completely going off board, I mean, it has to be a really bad bowling Are ball Are there throw. any videos of this? I just... <laughs> One. <laughs> Can I see your phone? No. <laughs> we had to turn it off, Mike said. <laughs> it's true, though, that, that you know, the, I like the goalposts, too, because there is room within there to do what you need to do if you've been empowered by your superiors. <laughs> you know where the, you know where, the, you know, you know where right, the borders yeah. are. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right. And, and look, I, I'm guessing that we're having this conversation today. If we were having this conversation a decade or two ago, it might be slightly different. But what we, you know, we enjoy in, in all industries, certainly at, at Guidehouse, we enjoy working with incredibly talented young people. And, and it's not just the millennial generation. There's other generations working in, in, a, in a big, complex business. But, you know, people have expectations around their engaged, around how they are contributing to the organization. Uh, I can't imagine that the vast majority of, of uh, my team, I'd have a hard time imagining any team, that would be satisfied in a working environment where you're, you're, you're simply told what to do, how right. to do it, uh, when to show up, and uh, you know, if there's any tangential connection to your output and our strategy, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's incidental. It sounds like uh, a dream. And that, that's just the antithesis <laughs> of what people want. It's right. a, you know, we talked last week about the Baldridge journey there's a similar journey metaphor here in, in employee engagement and in the communications and, and understanding and distillation of strategy uh, because even if you arrive at a place where everybody has perfect clarity into the strategy of the organization and their specific connection to that strategy, that understanding has a half-life. And, mm, yep. you, you know, and again, I, I, point, you know, I go back to what Ben said earlier, it's not about just communication. Uh, but you've really got to make sure that uh, people are constantly up to date, up to speed on what's changing and, and what their role is and how it, how it matters. And once they have that, uh, and, and I'll never be perfect at it. My leadership team's sensational. They'll never be perfect at it because our people, you know, our teams who are just comprised of incredibly talented, really, really capable people who want to bring their A game routinely, you know, they have high expectations, as they should. So we're constantly on a journey to inform and edify and engage. And I don't think that'll ever end. Yeah. So let's pivot to that second uh, key theme that came out of last week's uh, radio show. And that was really uh, what really matters from a quality standpoint is defined by customers. So uh, let's unpack that a little bit, Scott. Give us some some insights based on your experience and learnings uh, that are relevant to that. And, and the process and diligence required to really hear the customer and yeah, really I, understand. I, I remember that and I, I'm happy to talk about it. It's, it's funny when we started our, our Baldrige journey and, and me, we made the, the, the naive uh, proclamation among our people that we were going to pursue the Baldrige Award. We were going to build a world-class quality platform and program that was going to create sustainable and measurable quality improvement, engage our people. Uh, you know, we, we really did not know what we were biting off. And, yeah. and that's, that's maybe where Naivete is is helpful in uh, in, in undertaking something like this, uh, but you know it, it's it's interesting. Um, you know our our people and and the teams that we operate with have been so engaged in in every part of our of our journey, uh, and and continue to be engaged in our quality journey today. Uh, it's it's almost like you know you get to work with people you can put the business on on autopilot, and uh, and that that's that's a that's a really big, big deal for, for me as a, as a leader who gets the, the opportunity to work with these great people. But it's, you know, it's also 
so a big responsibility to make sure that we are continuing to create a platform that is is committed to ongoing improvement and quality improvement, and that's where the Baldrige framework comes in and has served us, uh, you know, so really well, Ben, in, in these these past few years, and we think it's going to serve us well in the future. So, what are some of the approaches um, that you would recommend that the listeners consider as they're uh, thinking about how to best engage um, their customers? Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, for for us, when when we uh, when we embarked on this journey, I probably read this somewhere, but I, I I don't remember where, so I can't give credit to whomever wrote it. But you know, I I we came up with this concept that we can't define quality. The, you know, that only the clients can. Yeah. And uh, it, it actually sounds pretty wise, but it's, it's also pretty obvious. But we learned very quickly, first of all, if we try to define quality ourselves, we will inevitably define it so that we can score a lot of points. Right. You know, figuratively right. and literally, right? <laughs> clients demand that we have a sign above the door. There it is. It's above the door. We're, <laughs> we're in great shape. And uh, I, I will tell you, in our, in our quality journey, even though we were very committed to putting the client at the center of this of this uh, of this uh, framework, uh, I think we still tended in the early years to nudge towards defining quality or defining the client's evaluation quality through our own lens because it's mm-hmm. easier. Yeah. It's it's there's less to improve when you're taking stock of everything that's going well, and that's if if there's no other reason. Uh, then that's a great reason to start with, even if you need outside assistance uh, with, in the form of you know, third-party uh, assessors and, and uh, surveyors of, of quality and your, your clients' perceptions of quality, uh, and we did that from time to time. By stepping outside and insisting on an unvarnished perspective of right. clients, uh, you, you really create the right baseline and the, and the right you know, set of objectives. Uh, and that, that, that served us really well. And it, it really was, if I think about us becoming a high-quality platform, it's hard for me to think of an insistence that was higher profile than that. The, the clients des- describe our quality. We don't. And yeah. that set us, you know, that wasn't just a platitude or a philosophy. It set us down a very specific path of ensuring that we understood the clients, understood the voice of the customer, which we talked about last week briefly. Um, that's that's really untapped a lot of value uh, by going yeah. down that path. But it's harder. And it's you know more costly, and yeah. uh, and ultimately though, you know we we took stock of what we really learned and how we really improved through this Baldrige process. Ultimately, the voice of the customer was probably the thing that mattered most in impacting the broadest part of our the parts rather of our business, from yeah. investment to uh, client touching operations. Yeah. So a colleague of mine used to call this lack of of listening to customers as having a lip lock on our own exhaust pipe. <laughs> I like it. It's a good nice. metaphor, right? Wow, <laughs> right? So it's it's like, hey, you know, you have to you have to be willing to look at things completely different, which is tough from a customer feedback standpoint. I'd be remiss if I didn't relate this back to both healthcare and Baldridge, right? In healthcare, we talk a lot about this, and in the sense of, especially when it comes to uh, being patient-centered, right? And how everything we aim to do is patient-centered, but the reality is it's not, or else consumerism wouldn't be in the world that we are today, uh, to the extent that we are, and trying to bring about better access, more convenience, better quality, things right. of that nature. But the biggest thing that I've heard in terms of a struggle for organizations or even individuals who are pursuing Baldridge is really around the feedback report. 
from the first time you submit your application, you get back this feedback report that basically tells you, hey, here's what you're really great at, and hey, here's kind of what you stink at, right? And and that's personal, because even <laughs> if it's not t- targeted towards Jennifer, it might be targeted towards your company, and people pour their sweat, blood, and equity into, hopefully not blood, but uh, maybe in healthcare. Tears, maybe. Into, tears, maybe oh, that's yeah. a little better. But all of those things, right, into their business. And so it's very personal, whether no matter where you're at in, in your position. So being able to take that feedback, internalize it in a way that's healthy and promotes growth as opposed to kind of curling up inside your shell. I, that's a really good point. And I, I got to tell you, if there's organizations, uh, and, and we'll stick to organizations since we're talking about the Baldrige Feedback Report who've gone through this process, there's other ways to get feedback, mm-hmm. of course, and, and reacting to bad feedback is, is always difficult. But for those who've gone through Baldridge, I think most go through it this way. You get that first feedback report, and I'm revealing my own insecurities here. But you get that first feedback report, and everything you see in it that is positive, that is glowing, that resonates to, uh, to, to, to the things that you think you're really good at and ultimately strokes your ego, that's where you say the people who evaluated us got it right. They really understand <laughs> us. That's... And then you look at everything else and you say, these people, this is where they just didn't understand us. Yeah, we must not have communicated <laughs> yeah, effectively. It's communication. Right. It's, it's their <laughs> lack of understanding of our industry. Our, you know, know. Every industry is unique. They must not have unique. seen that result. Uh, <laughs> you have to evolve beyond that. Yeah. And, and yeah. admittedly, uh, I, I remember vividly the day we sat down as a leadership team to read our first feedback report. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it pretty much, you know, you think I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, it pretty much went down those lines. Everything on this side of the column, they got right. Everything over here, they got wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously, you have to move beyond that. And the quicker you can move beyond that, the quicker you can get to, to real quality. I will say this about the feedback report, though, and I've, I've mentioned this in, in a number of settings, public and, and more private in the latter case when we're acting as an advisor on quality programs. When you get the feedback report, a lot of Baldrige applicants are really, really focused on closing the gaps and winning the award. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I admire that. There's nothing wrong with that. We did it ourselves. But one thing we did that is a little bit different than some companies, when we looked at the feedback report and we finally matured our processes and, and our understanding enough to embrace the criticism, uh, we didn't always go out and address every single item. Uh, either either substantially or, or cosmetically. There were certain things in later feedback reports that were constructive. We weren't dismissive of them, but we showed in the future evaluation why we didn't believe that mattered. It wasn't defensive, but we showed yeah. why that isn't imperative, but why something else is. And I, I had shared this a few weeks ago with, uh, with a corporate audience on Baldridge and on improvement frameworks. And I said, you know, if you get hung up, on the, the, the exact wording of a piece of feedback, or you get hung up in the case of the Baldrige uh, criteria, the framework, on the exact wording of the framework itself, you do miss an opportunity to improve uh, mm-hmm. because yeah. not everything is relevant, and right. certainly not everything is relevant in equal measure. And so you have to exercise some leadership judgment. But to do that, <laughs> as the point was made, you've first got to be open to that criticism, and then you can interpret what really can move the needle in, in your corporate performance. Yeah, so Scott, you, you said a couple of things. Again, I, they're really key that I want to emphasize. You embrace criticism, mm-hmm. and you take a posture of not being defensive, but instead really analyzing the applicability and accuracy of it so that you can change. And that, for human beings, is probably the 
hardest thing. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are I agree with you. and what job you mm-hmm. work. When you get that employee evaluation, and this is the, this is just right. a comment. This is just human nature. Someone can say, you know, ninety nine people can say something great about you. It's the one person yeah. who has the criticism <laughs> that gets too. in your head, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's Boy, really hard, true. but it is so important. That's the one you wake up thinking great about. Right. Yeah. So um, we only have a few minutes left, and there's a, a, a related concept here to leadership and uh, understanding the customer. It comes from that article that we talked about by Donald Sloan and Rebecca Homkes. They, they state in here, strategy execution, as we define the term, consists of seizing opportunities that support the strategy while coordinating with other parts of the organization on an ongoing basis. So this connection point between the clarity of strategy and effective leadership and really understanding what the customer wants has to do with what I would refer to as orchestration, right? In other words, how do you make sure that everybody's actually singing off the same chorus sheet and working collaboratively, not as independent cowboys, but in a, in a really, really well-executed, coordinated way where the strategy is informed by the customer, it's accurate, and you're able to pull that off. Thoughts on that, Scott? Because I know that's been a big part of what you've done. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you said it really well, and you know that's what I enjoyed about our show last week is I was able to take notes on things I need to improve, and that's, that's probably one of them. But, uh, you know, one of the things that this Baldridge journey revealed for us, and this was, you go back to the comment on the feedback reports and, and being able to, you know, look in the mirror and, 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 and take them as, as constructive feedback. One of the biggest things we had to improve was the integration of our strategy, development, and execution process with our budget formulation and evaluation process. Yeah. And uh, we, we candidly, I, now this is going back a few years, my recollection was the inferior uh, aspects of all those processes for us really had to do with their segmentation. We had a good strategy process, but it wasn't as linked as it should have been to budget or performance evaluation. And Got we it. had good processes in those other areas that were similarly not tightly linked. Linking is sort of the, the strategy process, the budget process, the mm-hmm. investment process uh, as part of the budget process, and of course, you know, the, uh, the evaluation process, the performance management piece. That is, if I think about the substance of what we were able to improve over a six, seven year time frame in, in that journey, that, that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, and, it, and that underscores an important element for all quality improvement, whether you're using Baldridge or not, and that is optimizing one or a, a discrete number of processes, or worse yet, steps within a process, doesn't really improve your quality. Uh, in fact, you know, some pundits might say it actually speeds up your demise because you're being <laughs> more efficient at, uh, at something you're not as good at. And that Baldridge forces you into a way more, I think the right word is holistic, a, a holistic perspective of how all these processes can work better together. And, and I don't know that anybody would espouse this, but to make the point, I believe you're better off with grading all of your processes at about a B, B minus level and having all of them at that level than having a few A processes and some C and D or, or you know, worse yet, F processes, particularly where the, the last affects your clients yeah. uh, directly. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a big learning in Baldridge because some people go on and they want to undertake and this is normal in any type of organization, we want to improve a process, which is great and it's noble. And if you're improving that process and it's got a direct impact on your customer, your profitability or your risk, you know, so be it. But don't ignore all the other processes that you know, share touch points with customers or share data 
or impact uh, you know, that, that process. That was really difficult for us to get our heads around. And uh, once we did, we, un- we unlocked a lot of value. You're talking a lot about variation and reducing variation, so it's right up my alley with Six Sigma. Um, it, it, it's exactly, absolutely. And it, it, it borrows from theory of constraints as well, right? Mm-hmm. You have a great process right in the middle. You have a great yep. step right in the middle of a bad process. That's, that's to no gain. Right. So I know we're right at our time, but just one quick question for you. Based out of everything that you've, you've learned over the years, your experience and your connection to Baldridge, what would you say is your personal biggest learning opportunity for you? Yeah, it, it, I'll, I'll answer it this way quickly. I wish I had known when we started this project. And that, that, that's, you know, that, that's probably the biggest one. I think it is you, you lead as a, as a project leader, whether the CEO or the other champion for quality, you find out how the quality improvement effort of Baldridge can impact everybody in their daily lives, and you make that the centerpiece of your initiative because that not only serves you well, for the project of pursuing Baldridge, it serves you, serves you well for the very important sustainment of it that we've talked about before. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of ways to begin, but that's, that's the best way to begin. It took us a year or so to understand that. And, uh, yeah, that's something I would have put up front. That's great. Thank you. So, Scott, thank you a ton for uh, being on both weeks' uh, show. Very, very insightful. We, we know how busy you are with all, all of the M&A activity going on, and so that you carved out that time uh, over a two-week period. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, Truly my pleasure, anytime. And best of luck going forward. And we want to thank everyone who listened uh, to this Leader Dialogue brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldrige Foundation. We will see you next time. Please join us. Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X.